grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is from St. Luke, where Jesus said these words from the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Dear friends of Christ, denying Jesus. You know, I think about, about us, and, and it's, it's so easy to get caught up in all that, um, to not be part of the church, to not be plugged in to Christ. And the world doesn't want to be plugged in. The world denies Him. They deny the truth about Jesus, that He's Savior of the world. They don't want to serve Him. And they deny who He claims to be. They, they deny that he, is, that, they, that he is powerful. They deny His divinity. They deny that He's God. They deny that He has the power to save. And many people today even deny that Jesus even ever existed, which is foolish. They believe the Bible's a myth. Filled with stories. You can't, can't count on it. You can't depend on it. And they deny because of that that Jesus rose from the grave. They deny that Jesus even did miracles. And many people even deny that Jesus made the world in six days. How about you? Well, this morning our theme is proclaim Him Lord and Savior. Proclaim Him Lord and Savior. When Jesus returned to His hometown of Nazareth, the people weren't ready to proclaim Him Lord and Savior. In fact, uh, they weren't ready to do anything of the sort. Jesus entered the synagogue where He'd grown up. Uh, you know, it's like the church. Uh, the synagogue wasn't the temple. It was where the people would meet. They'd read the Scriptures, and then the rabbi would teach. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this for generations and generations and generations, gathering, listening, and learning. And so he steps into his synagogue, and the people knew him. And, and of course, this time, however, instead of listening to the Scriptures and being taught by the rabbi, he was the one who got to read the Scriptures and teach. And they gave him the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And he opened up that ancient scroll, and he turned, he rolled it out to Isaiah 61. Now, this was a well-known prophecy about the Messiah, and the people knew it well. It was familiar to them. It talked about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would teach. And Jesus began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm sure He stressed the word me. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. You see, they'd been hearing about His miracles in Capernaum. And they wanted him to do a miracle in Nazareth, and he wasn't going to do that for them. To set liberty those who were oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he was done reading, the, there was silence. It's as if the people were figuring it out in their minds. 
What's he saying? And then in the midst of that deafening silence, Jesus sat down. And the people just looked at him. And he broke the silence by preaching the shortest sermon that has ever been preached, one sentence. Today's scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be the Messiah, not just the Messiah. He was claiming to be God himself. He was God in human flesh, God on earth. And he said, today, I am he. I am the anointed one, the Messiah, the Messiah. Come to proclaim the good news. I am the one that has come to heal those who are blind. I am the one who has come to proclaim the Lord's favor, to proclaim liberty to those who are captive to sin. I have come. And everyone in the synagogue knew what he was claiming. There wasn't a person there who didn't get it. They all knew. He was claiming to be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. All those Old Testament prophecies were pointing to him. And at first, everybody marveled at that. Wow. There he is. And then they started to think. And then they started to turn against him. Because they thought, now wait a minute, this can't be. It, oh, we, we know him. That's Joseph and Mary's son. Not the son of God, the Messiah. Can't be the Messiah. Because he grew up with our own children. And so they took offense at him. And I mean, they really took offense at him. They took offense at him so much that uh, they had so much hatred, so much vitriol, that they literally wanted to kill him. And they grabbed a hold of him. And they dragged him to the edge of town where there was a cliff to throw him over to kill him. They grabbed him, but all of a sudden, as if by divine intervention, their grasp weakened. And Jesus walked safely through the crowd unharmed. And they couldn't understand why they couldn't throw him off the cliff. Why they couldn't grab him. You see, these people had been wanting a miracle. And Jesus was giving it to them. In this escape, Jesus was revealing who he was. He was revealing what he could do. Who he is and who he still is. The Savior of the world. God True man, true God. But the people rejected all that. And in doing so, they fulfilled Isaiah's ancient prophecy. Jesus was despised, rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And you see, for the citizens of Nazareth, the barrier for them to believe that Jesus was the Son of God was a fact that he was born that he was a child of Joseph and Mary. They couldn't get past the fact that he was just like us. They got all caught up in the virgin birth. <laughs> the virgin birth. They weren't there, you know, in Bethlehem. The virgin birth. Oh, that's a good way to mask a pregnancy, isn't it? Joseph says, it's not my baby. 
It was a divine intervention of God. And the people said, sure, it was a divine intervention of God. Sure it was. Because they all know, they all know how a woman gets pregnant. Who's so foolish to fall for a lie like that? Who would believe that Mary, his mother, making him 100% man, and then that God the Father would be his father, making him 100% God? Who'd believe such a lie? It's Joseph's son. And that's what the Nazarites saw. Nothing special here, move along. And and that's why they rejected him. And that's why people are still rejecting him. There's nothing special here. There's nothing dynamic here. Human flesh crucified. It all just made sense. Women just don't happen to get pregnant. It's always hard for human beings to see greatness when it's wrapped in something plain and ordinary. I want you to think, you know, you're out walking along and and you're going down a street and all of a sudden you see a paper sack, uh, just trash on the side of the road, and for whatever reason you pick up that dirty paper sack and you open it up and you look inside and, and there's a... Well, there's a diamond ring in there. And you look, you look and you say, well, that can't be of any value, right? Can't be a diamond ring. So you take it to the appraiser. And the appraiser tells you its true worth. Well, God was wrapped in ordinary paper bag in flesh and blood. And normal people were not able to see his worth. So they rejected the incarnate word. They wouldn't be the only ones. People would crucify him, but they wouldn't be the only ones to reject him either. People are still rejecting him today. They're still discarding Jesus, and they fail to see his true worth, who he is. I want you to consider this question, because I wonder where are you at? Why do people go to church? Why are you here today? What do you hope to get out of today? What do you hope to get out of a worship service? Why do you sit in those pews? Why do you come every Sunday? Do people really get all excited about all the same old stuff? You know, the same old stuff that I'm talking about. The same old pastor, the the same old hymns, the same old liturgy. The same old people, the same old message, the same old bread and wine, the same old Jesus. Or do you see past all that and see the value of what's hidden in those things? Many don't know. Many have a tough time with all that. They have a tough time believing what they can't see. They have a tough time having faith. Because they have to prove the great worth. They have to have proof. 
Now, Jesus is the forgiver. He is the forgiver of all souls. He came to suffer and die. The proof is in the pudding. He gave his life that we might live. But they want more proof. Prove it. Prove who you are. See, they don't want to live by faith. People don't want to live by faith. They just simply don't want to trust in Jesus. Even though he's a savior of our souls. But what of it? People want proof. They want a Jesus who'll take away their pains. They, if you really are, if you really are the Son of God, then why is my life so bad? Why do I have to live with an abusive father? Why do I have to live with an abusive mother? If you are indeed God, and you are all-powerful the way you claim to be, then why is there suffering in the world? Why do I have suffering? If you are this Jesus, why can't you make me happy? And then if he doesn't do what they expect him to do, well, they'll sit in the pews for a few weeks or a few months and slowly disappear. Why do I have to live with a spouse I don't love? Why do I have to be unhappy? Why do I have to have financial debt? Why do I have to be sick? Why am I dying? If Jesus is who he claims to be, fix me and fix my life. That's what Nazareth wanted. We heard you were doing miracles up in, up in Capernaum. Now that you're home, glad to have you home. It's good to see you, Jesus. But we've got problems here too. Uh, can you start fixing them? And Jesus says, not everybody gets a fix, do they? He fixes our brokenness, though. He fixes the brokenness of our sin. He paid for all that in the cross. He has the power to save us from the burdens of the soul, but not from the burdens of this life. The burdens of this world. He, he promises to free you from the burdens of the suffering in the world to come. But in this world, we're broken. We're broken. We're a broken people. And in the reading of Nehemiah, the people realized that as they were reading the law of God. We're broken. We're a broken people. And they wept. Who can do anything about this? We are a broken people. And there's no fix for the brokenness. Except for the forgiveness of sins. But he can't take away world hunger. Not in this life. He can't take away world pain. Not in this life. Not in this world. He can't save us from all the pain and suffering. and the, He can't solve every injustice. Can't take care of every evil. Not in this world. And so, in, we're broken, you see. And so we cry out in despair, Lord! Help us! And he does. He dies to save us that we might have a promise to live in his kingdom that is coming where none of these things will be there. And the Lord wants us to be saved. He wants us to believe all that. Jesus doesn't take away our pains and trials in this world. He gives us the strength so that we can trust in him and he gives us the strength so that we can endure through them. 
The Lord is our strength. But Jesus has come to fix our souls, and He comes to forgive, and He comes to do what He claimed He would do. He comes to feed our faith, to make us strong, to stand in the day of adversity. And He does that through the waters of baptism, through the sacrament of Holy Communion, through the preaching of the Word. Let me ask you a simple question again. Why is it such a burden to drag yourself out of bed on Sunday morning to come to hear the Word of God proclaimed? Why is that such a burden? To worship the Lord. Or to stay an extra hour for Bible study. Why is that such a burden? Is it too boring? Does it not apply? Maybe you all think that you're getting $3 worth of God in a brown paper sack. Maybe you don't see the value either. Maybe you and I need to repent and change and think differently. Or maybe we prefer Joel Osteen's Jesus, Joel Osteen's Jesus who says, I have a Jesus who will make you feel better about yourself. Or maybe Oprah Winfrey's Jesus, who teaches you that you can find a true peace within without acknowledging your sin. But the real Jesus, he says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the people reject all that. Do you? Or do you proclaim Him Lord and proclaim Him Savior? Trust Him in Him. He's given you His promises. He's given you all that you need to have life and salvation. And He will give you the treasures of His kingdom. He has the power to get you through this life. And He is the epicenter. Jesus is always the epicenter of the Christian life. Let me give you an illustration. There was a father who was reading the newspaper and he was annoyed by his daughter who kept interrupting him. And so he thought, I'll give her a project. And so he finds a, a, a map and he, and he cuts that map into, into little pieces. And then he tells his daughter, he gets out a, a sheet of plastic and, and says, you know, glue the pieces onto the plastic sheet. And so the daughter sets to work. And with astonishment, after just a little while gone, the girl comes and says, Daddy, I'm finished come and see and of course she held the plastic up and sure enough all the pieces were there he said how did you do that so fast you don't even know geography and the little girl replied she says well there was a picture of Jesus on the other side of the map and I knew that when I had Jesus in the right place the whole world would be right too she got it she got it right. She put Jesus in the center of the world. And may we be so wise. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.